0: Petski's up the of the net! Here comes Rashad now, takes it, It's in the post! Oh, no! Oh, what a goal! Tom arrives on the big stage for Derby!
1: That's Petrov and Powell's out of his goal
0: here, he's
2: gone for it! He's starting the net! Well, ball related incident later... It caused us to to lose our, our captain. Welcome to episode 4 of Our Baseball Ground. I'm Alex.
1: And I'm also Alex.
2: And I think before we go any further, I should actually say that this episode should probably come with a trigger warning for Derby County fans. So today we are going to be discussing January 2008. And as we all know, January of 2008 came in the season where Derby were gifted the worst team in history crown in the Premier League. So if you don't want to relive that, then please... Don't listen to this episode and we won't take it um, personally.
1: We'll only be reliving a certain part of it. So hopefully we can keep the rest of it buried. We
2: can keep it as light and as be possible. be too triggered. Okay, that's, that's fine. Um, we're going to be speaking about this today because we think it's quite a timely subject. So it is currently January 2021. And also because Sheffield United are probably... The first team since that season that have a real chance of taking that worst team in history crown from Derby County.
1: They're doing a very good job of it. They are.
2: They only have two points currently.
1: And they may want to avoid some of the mistakes that we'll talk about that Derby made in yeah. that season so hopefully they'll be listening to this podcast
2: I hope so they can they can use our diagnosis to yeah, yeah. to ensure that they don't take that crap and also today we are joined by another guest so uh, with the success of having my dad on last week we we wanted to invite invite another guest on with us so um I'd like to introduce Dominic O'Kee.
0: hi everybody
2: Hi, thank you for coming on Dom. So uh, Dom was born in Derby in 1991. He is the grandson of a Derby County enthusiast who has been to every single season ever. Do you reckon, Dom? Your granddad? (laughs) Well,
0: uh, maybe not since um, the founding of the club, but um, certainly his his lifetime um, from childhood on
2: many seasons. I think that's quite that's quite common with a few of us who were were born in Derby and have um, Derby County enthusiasts as granddads. And he's also the nephew of Derby County club historian Andy Ellis.
0: That's also true.
2: (laughs) Which is exciting. And another little fact, Dom has a PhD in English literature. So I'm kind of hoping that um, his arguments are more coherent than ours, usually. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, if we were talking about poetry, but uh, we're not
1: we're talking about a particular kind of poetry here horrible kind that should be confined to the dustbin of history potentially that's
2: (laughs) very true very very
1: poor rhymes were going on
2: (laughs) and and Dom so you had a season ticket um during this season right that we're going to be talking about today so in Hmm. in 2007 to 2009 I believe
0: yeah yeah those those two fateful seasons
2: yeah so you've you've seen you've seen what we're about to discuss and you you've seen it firsthand and um yeah you got to you're gonna be able to help us kind of like chew the crud on on January 2008. I mean, offer
1: a fresh perspective not based on well not not from a perspective of people that uh, have been season tick holders for far too long as well.
0: Yeah you know to some people I'll be merely a uh, interloper
1: who, a
0: glory supporter who uh, joined as a season ticket holder during the Premier League year and quickly departed with tail between my legs a year later. But um, to others, maybe um, I'm somebody who saw the writing on the wall. The tag of glory supporter. Would
1: be would be ill used for yeah. this particular season as well. Indeed, um, yeah. Maybe so. if we'd have maybe <laughs> if,
2: we, if we'd have even won two games that season, we could have called you a glory supporter. But mm. with the one win, I feel like we couldn't. We can't even do that.
0: Well, so. what a win it was, hey! That,
2: uh... <laughs> 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 that Monday night at home to Newcastle, it was beautiful. Trump comes into the Manchester United half, dribbles on, finds some space, goes into the box, shoots, and it's in! What a run! Down the what is your first derby county memory
0: a great question um my first memory as a as a child would have been Paolo one slaloming uh solo goal at old trafford it's kind of singed in my memory but whether that's just because of um the amount of times i've rewatched it over the past uh, <laughs> decade or so is, mm-hmm. it's the maybe the, the the <laughs> real reason why it's there but you know, my my engagement with um, with Derby was was not just going to the odd game with my 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 grandpa when I was younger, and then eventually getting a season ticket and and watching them on telly whenever I could. Um, but it also involved a quite hilarious um, birthday party trip to Pride Park uh, a couple of years after it opened, um, yeah. and in in which uh, the club mascot. Uh, Rami famously scared my friend almost to death uh, by jumping out (laughs) between two doors and and frightening my my small Japanese friend.
2: Um, He's such a joker, that Rami.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. Um, These were, of course, in the years before Rami's counterpart um, was born. Yui, Uh, yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I was a very precocious and sort of um, cheeky little child and my mum scolded me um, in the Derby County dressing room for covering up um, the letter M on Mark Poom's jersey um, for my birthday photograph, which was obviously incredibly disrespectful to this guy who um, was one of Derby's best keepers of the, of the period. But for my like, seven-year-old child brain, it was, um, it was the funniest thing I could do in the moment, so I had to do it. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, as I left the ground at the end of the birthday party, um, actually, all the players were coming in for who knows, maybe some sort of training or pre-match Amazing. team talk. And I managed to get the signatures of all of these uh, greats, including One Shop and Poom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a real crowning movement of my my childhood memories of Derby County.
1: I think the the like parties at Pride Park for you know young kids born in the early nineties were like a necessary rite of passage mm-hmm. for for those that lived in Derby anyway absolutely did you go to one I think I yeah I went to a friend's birthday party in, in a primary school
2: so even I after moving to Nottingham when I was a wee, a wee whippersnapper even I was invited to a to a party at Pride Park and yeah, yeah. it was and great I th-
1: and I think on the topic of One Chop's goal I remember when I was at, in my first year of university Derby ran some some poll where they asked fans to vote their favourite goal of all time and obviously Paolo One Chop's goal was, was number one and I remember sharing it to like people who I lived with at the time, being like you know like very nostalgic about the goal and asking them to bathe in the wonderfulness of the <laughs> of the fact that it was a debut goal at Old Trafford, and everyone was just you know looking at me like they weren't totally taken in by the quality of it. But I'm, I'm still to this, you know, still to this day, I'll open up YouTube on like a, on a rainy afternoon. I'll occasionally just, it'll be the first video I go to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that outside the club, it means nothing to, nothing to nobody. But <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> we don't have that privilege of being outside.
2: Yeah. No. no, and it is, well, I think that. Yeah, the fact there was a debut goal as well. I mean, they—it doesn't get better. It doesn't literally doesn't get any better than that, does it? it Completely solo effort. Yeah, at Old Trafford, it was. Yeah. Glorious. John by Howard Horn here's Oakley with a chance for Derby, and he scores That's Oakley, the first goal back in the Premier
0: League.
1: You, you gave a very good introduction before about what we're going to be talking about, so it, it literally will be. Um, around January 2008 Um, so we're going to be focusing on mostly around the players that were signed and sort of the impact that they uh, had at the club that season and you know subsequent seasons but we'll also give a little bit of background for those that have confined um, this you know period to like the vault the nuclear bunker where it belongs.
2: Yeah the very back of the memory.
1: Derby came into January with seven points from 20 games so like it has to be said that it was a terrible start but they were only nine points adrift of safety which is insurmountable for a team with no quality but in theory you mm-hmm. could haul it back in if if something drastic changed they'd appointed poor duel at the start of december but it was you know more of the same like they kept losing late on mm-hmm. they played okay in some games but they still kept getting comprehensively beaten so we enter January like that, and at the very start of January, they then lost again at Bolton away, which um, you know is one of the games that you always like to talk to me about, having been there with your, yeah. with your dad and granddad.
2: Absolute killer blow, that one, that goal.
1: But I guess just before we go into January, does anyone have any sort of standout memories from... early part of the season
2: i i had the the huge privilege of being able to attend every single one of the games in in this premiership season um i'm laughing at me using the word privilege because it was a privilege and and a curse to to chase derby county up and down the country every week when i think about the first part of the season it's kind of sad because all i can remember is that we were just so well beaten in games so There were the games where we were, on paper, well beaten, like the the 5-0 home defeat to West Ham. And then there were also games away from home and also at home where we may have only lost by one or two goals, but we were still so well beaten by by teams. um, It seemed that we just essentially couldn't really get a break unless we were playing Newcastle. Actually, in that first (laughs) half of the season, we took four of the points that we had from Newcastle. um, And so... They were kind of the the memories for me that we were we were just very well beaten in games but actually when we played Newcastle we managed to turn up and <laughs> and, and
1: arguably we should have had six
2: points arguably we should have had six points if there wasn't a late Mark Duduka goal at um at St James's yeah. Park yeah so that that's kind of like what i remember from from that part of the season hmm. i mean
0: that's what happened in the one of the games that I really remember because Fernando Torres kicked a ball at me um, was, <laughs> I think, the Liverpool game on Boxing Day in which Liverpool scored a 90th minute winner um, to beat Derby 2-1. But it wasn't a 2-1 sort of game. Um, yeah. It was a 5-6-1 sort of game. It's just that the, <laughs> the ball wasn't dropping for them on the day. Yeah. And, you know, Gerard hit the bar a few minutes before eventually tapping in the winning goal. And, you know, Torres Mm -hmm. did sky a shot, which he would... The game beforehand would have scored. And that shot hit me in the arm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But it was awesome because it was like, Torres uh, (laughs) this ball with his foot.
2: Incredible.
0: But, yeah, I mean, they were so thoroughly destroyed. Mm -hmm. Even the opening opening day against... uh, Was it Portsmouth? Um, Yeah, Portsmouth. The 2-2 draw, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Which... The, the, you know, the promise that was there in Pride Park and, you know, all of the the silly black and white uh, checkered flags on people's yeah. seats, everyone waving them. I think Derby took the lead in that. Um, and it I think was a, Matt, a Matt Oakley goal. Um, and that was like this big release, this moment where, you know, we're here in the Premier League. But of course, they had no rights to draw that game against Portsmouth for it. So the prevailing narrative in the season was that Derby didn't deserve or weren't supposed to go up in the Championship. They did finish closer to the automatic promotion than they did to the teams below them in the playoffs mm-hmm. on points. Mm-hmm. But the squad was kind of thought to be unready for mm-hmm. for Premiership life, and despite the the trouncing of Southampton in the playoff semi-finals, um, that playoff final against West Brom, th- that game was one which West Brom dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only through a kind of smash and grab winner by Pearson that, that Derby won. I think the fans going into the season had that sense, right? That that they weren't quite up for the job.
1: Totally. I think it was bizarre, actually, that playoff uh, final with West Brom because Derby had spent a lot of time in the top two and then they'd like, tailed off at the end of the season. But then they went in as just like widely accepted underdogs against West Brom. And obviously mm-hmm. West Brom had a, a lot more pedigree for being in the premiership at that time, but it still seems strange to have a team in third, finishing in third and then be so widely accepted as underdogs going into a game.
2: Yeah, I guess I wish I actually had the stats in front of me of how many games we won one nil in that season we got promoted because I'm sure we were at the time we were kind of we were remembered as, as the team that were kind of like winning one nil to mm. to get the points every week and then and then we did it on the biggest stage of them all to to be West Brom as well and and finish that game 1-0. But I think that it it was widely kind of accepted amongst the fans that, yeah, like, wow, like this team's got us promoted and now we're going to have to play in the Premiership every week. I mean,
1: I guess with the signings as well, like they had a team that was barely, you know, like it was like a mid-table championship team that somehow got promoted and then they they reinforced it with a load of players who had only really played at championship level successfully Mm -hmm. anyway. So it was going to be difficult from the outset.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because the same same people who were saying that Derby weren't supposed to go up that year, right? We need another year to develop. We're also Mm. the very same people who pinned their hopes on this this frequently injured uh, talent, Giles Barnes, Mm -hmm. who did spend quite a lot of the time in the premiership on the sidelines injured. Yeah. And every time that he got fit again to play, people were... (laughs) You know, the anticipation in the stadium was rising. Oh, my God, Giles Barnes is coming on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But um, unfortunately, he couldn't provide the spark that he did in the championship final. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You're always set up to fail if you're always pinning your hopes on that one player. That, I mean, has no proven pedigree in the premiership as well. It's different if we'd have signed someone that... Yeah, had like previous season taken the Premier League by storm, but that wasn't the case. It was it was kind of like he was still classed as really like an academy kid that was just yeah, had yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. amount of talent.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like they uh, they could have signed Laurent Robert, for example. <laughs> yeah, we'll get onto that. one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: we'll see how that turns out. Um, and I guess we we should kind of like have a bit of a nod to the to the signings that we made that summer because they kind of help with with this narrative of of what really went wrong in in january as well
1: i guess until you know deadline day robbie earnshaw was the the big signing and he was a good player he was a very good championship striker Mm -hmm. um and i think the idea was that we already had steve howard so all they needed was a poacher alongside him and we'd be set up with the Mm -hmm. classic big man small man combination and there probably wasn't many better people than earnshaw you know back then outside of i don't know, michael owen or someone I don't know, in england anyway to be, um, to be the little man to be the little man or in wales or in wales <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah but then they also turned kenny miller i think they could see that howard wasn't going to do it in the premiership which is you know fine he'd already had a good career by making it up to championship level having spent so long in you know league one and league two and kenny miller looked quite impressive and you know he was also kind of a player that was always on the cusp of being too good for the championship and not quite good enough for the Premiership mm. and probably at the right level to be good in the SPL. Yeah, which his his, his goal-scoring record in the SPL does show that, right? It mm-hmm. definitely stands up to scrutiny quite well and he played for so long as well. The interesting thing with Earnshaw and Miller is that they both went on to have like good careers after Derby as well. Miller played for ages and you know for Scotland and for Rangers multiple mm. times and... Uh, Earnshaw went on to play for Forest and would score against Derby at least once, maybe more. Mm. So they were both good strikers, but, you know, not in the place. Thousands of Northern Rock
0: savers are queued for hours at branches to empty their accounts. Many more have withdrawn cash via
2: the internet. Can we really diagnose why it was going so badly for Derby when the uh, the turn of the year came, and and it was two thousand and eight. Can we really say like these are the reasons why we think it just it just went so terribly?
0: Well, there are there are two reasons that come to my mind beyond footballing, mm-hmm. beyond beyond mere footballing on the pitch. Um, yeah. The first is obviously the kit. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> okay.
0: So Derby's kit was made by Adidas, and. That's a good thing in that yeah. it might give you a nice 3 stripe look,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the problem was that it looked nothing like the other Adidas kits in the Premier League. <laughs> um, Liverpool's and Chelsea's Adidas kits had the very very nice uh, little popped colours on them. They tended to uh, to look quite stylish, but mm-hmm. Derby's Adidas kit was almost like the knockoff version or the. <laughs> The one where Adidas were like, oh, we'll pump about 50% of the money into this. We'll get, we'll get, the, um, we'll get the trainee to have a go at making this one. <laughs> and so they had what I thought was basically a kind of glorified training kit they wore all season. It, yeah. And remember that they, they ditched in that kit, they ditched the classic kind of white, black and gold look
2: that they mm-hmm. had
0: with numerous other kits through the years, whether it was like mm-hmm. a little gold on the number in or mm-hmm. in the logo. That was, you know, that was the time when Darby's logo was was changed to that kind of more cartoony um, one. Yeah, mm-hmm. a, you
2: know, the circle.
0: The circle, which isn't the best logo they've ever had. Um, no. <laughs> so in pure aesthetics, I think that Darby were doomed from the kit. Um, mm-hmm. The second, which is Perhaps, you know, a more, a more materialist idea. Because if anything, like, I strive... I've been striving to to think of myself as a combination of uh, Barney, Ronay and Karl Marx. So <laughs>
2: uh, I think
0: that you have to look at the what was going on in the, in the world economy. Yeah. And this 2007-8, you know, those numbers put together. I think if you're not a Derby fan, don't make you think of Derby. Make you think of the financial crash. And I guess... <laughs> This was a climate, right? A time in which um, the entire global economy was was tanking. Obviously, difficult for football clubs. But it, what was striking about this moment was that Derby's uh, kit sponsor was the was the Derbyshire Building Society, who yeah. who only partway through the season continued to exist. By by December, they were sold to or bought out by Nationwide. Um, and so the, the the kind of the, the sponsor on Derby's shirt didn't didn't really exist anymore halfway through the season in 2007 you had the, the failure of Northern Rock Bank and it was just it was a period in which these local banks and, and local infrastructure was crumbling and Derby was, was not an international club at that time despite just being about to be bought out by um, General Sports Entertainment Limited <laughs> um, from the kit to its sponsor I just think it was uh, it was doomed to begin with.
1: I think the Derbyshire Building Society was partly a patriotic choice. I think I remember at the time yeah. the club were really proud that they had got like this bank with the same name as the county that the club came yeah. from as as their uh, as their shirt sponsor. But it's um, it I... was definitely a sign of foreboding mm-hmm. um, that the bank yeah. collapsed
2: and the fact that, that 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 then didn't exist like you said halfway through the season i mean the the team are, are on their arse at that point for for it, want of a better phrase it's like phrase they've and, been
1: abandoned by everyone exactly the <laughs> the
2: fans are you know they they're not feeling optimistic about the new year and the the kit sponsor just doesn't even exist anymore the kit I manufacturer
1: think. weren't interested
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so you know, mm-hmm. it makes sense to focus on what happened on the pitch, what happened with the squad, what happened with the manager. Mm-hmm. But there are these aesthetic and material, economic, um, tectonic plates which are moving underneath the surface, causing these these earthquakes, which which really r- provide a kind of lack of structure for mm. for the season. Um, mm. And yeah, I think foreboding is the word. That's I mean that that anticipation, but laced with with kind of the darkest dread, was I think on most people's mind before the opening game. Um, yeah, it was a it, it wasn't the most promised time.
2: Revia for Villa, Derby side, the Argentinian striker from a Mexican club in the transfer window. It's very easy to forget just how crazy this this transfer. This transfer window was um so the team are i mean the the team is awful and i think at this point a lot of derby fans are kind of thinking okay let's just almost cut our losses and and go down and i don't know try and try and bounce back next season and and let's see let's see if we can do that and then the january transfer window happened so in this month we um we shipped off steve howard and matt oakley to leicester who were you know two of the key key players in in that promotion charge and actually matt oakley was my favorite player at the time and i don't think that was um a unique perspective he was truly very well liked by the fans um we got rid of andy griffin to stoke who had um, only just
1: signed in the summer
2: who had <laughs> only just signed so that's that's perhaps another another red flag there um we got rid of john macken to barnsley um, Bob Malcolm's contract was terminated. Lewin Nyatanga, who was again a, an Academy graduate and, and featured quite heavily in that season we got promoted, he went out on loan to Barnsley. Um, and then later on in the season, Michael Johnson, who was so well liked at the club, was again sent out on loan to, to Notts County. So they're kind of like the... The players that we we kind of got rid of during during January, and then I think I just want to read out all of the players that we bought in in January, and let's just let this sink in. We got Danny Mills on loan from Manchester City, Emmanuel Villa, also known as uh, Tito Villa, from Estudiantes Tekos. We got in Lauren Robert, Robbie Savage, um, Hossam Ghali, Roy Carroll, Miloszewski, Alan Stubbs, and Ruben Zadkiewicz. Uh, that happened in April. but so I guess the point in kind of like reading all those signings out is just that I think it was an absolutely crazy time. I don't think the um, the management team at the time necessarily knew what they wanted to achieve from bringing in all these different types of players from kind of different different clubs, some that were established but kind of come into the end of their career and then other players who hadn't even established themselves yet in in the Premiership. So Steve Howard and, and Matt Oakley were really two core members of, of that team that got us promoted. And I think for me, seeing them leave, like I was, I was very kind of um, touched and upset by, by Matt Oakley uh, leaving in, in January because to me, it almost did seem like the end of this era of the, the players that had brought us into the premiership. And I kind of feel like they should have even been given more of a chance to like carry on mm-hmm. playing um into the into the second half of the season
1: i sort of felt like matt oakley was probably one of the only players that could have come off with any credit from that first half of the season because he was like he was probably the main goal threat and he had never had even had a Mm -hmm. career that remotely resembled being a goal scoring midfielder but he was having to be one this season um and you know he he played for so long southampton in the premiership he was one of the few players that had had a major career in the Premier League. He was probably quite well suited to the league. Even just keeping him around, even if he was declining, would have been a good idea. I would have felt. And Steve Howard, again, I mean, I really liked Steve Howard. I think he had sort of, you know, expired by the by the time he had uh, got to the Premiership. But equally, like, I think the club kind of had no soul when you when you took those two out. Uh, and it really did just resemble a shell when when they weren't playing and Steve Howard in particular would again well, I mean both of them would go on to play for Leicester and you know like make tons of appearances and I remember Steve Howard scoring against Derby for Leicester in the later season in a in a win for uh, Leicester City so I don't think either of them were finished by any means and I think the fact that we were getting relegated again anyway and it was quite clear that that was going to be the case mm-hmm. meant that keeping them around was probably going to be a good idea
2: yeah so I guess do you, do you think at this point that actually there was someone at the club or, or a group of people at the club that thought no we're going to we're going to come back from being bottom at christmas and we're going to come back from this and we're going to we're going to bring in all these players
0: I mean who knows I mean it's funny how the financial crash maps onto this in terms of it was the selling of uh, subprime mortgages that led to the, the bubble bursting and here we are with a mm-hmm. club which is buying subprime players um mm-hmm. it was clearly a a failed tactic now who knows what went on inside the club you might have to ask um ryan mills the guy who wrote that that book pride um, oh yeah
2: for yeah, the yeah. inside
0: story you might have to ask him i don't know what was going on but i know the effects and i know how it was uh, delivered outside and the consequences well the consequences were bad there's no Mm -hmm. two ways about it Um, the players didn't enliven the club that they bought they didn't make the team stronger they didn't give it more cohesion, they didn't give it more of an identity Um,
1: they gave it, what a belly, bloat, right Yeah. Um, Yeah. the wage bill expanded totally, it really was just like a hot hodgepodge list of random players some super old players, like Alan Stubbs was like literally like he must have been like 36 or 37 um (laughs) Danny Mills who wasn't that old but he'd been playing in the championship the first half of the season uh on loan at Charlton so why he had been deemed good enough to make the step up uh Mm -hmm. again again was bizarre I mean what happens when clubs get promoted
0: to a new league what what's the rationale behind any transfer policy obviously we by saying this pretend that people have a rationale and often Mm. they don't but because you know obviously it's like a lot of the times agents are trying to sell players and clubs can get enticed and ditch their plans if they had any to begin with in order to get player x whose agent has said they're available for on the cheap blah 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 Mm. but what what tends to happen if there is a if there is a philosophy behind the transfer is that you know you have a few options available to you in a kind of flow chart, right? And it's like um, investing in proven talent, um, investing in unproven, but clearly like very promising talent, getting loan signings who are young, but have been Mm -hmm. developed and trained at elite clubs. And so they are the next generation apparently or, or meant to be of elite players. Obviously these things can work together and teams can buy some kind of elder statesman of the game and fresh faces and integrate that and have a cohesion and a a real philosophy, a real plan. But Jewel came in, poor Jewel came in after Billy Davis left with kind of bluster and bravado. He gave interviews in which he disparaged the team and talked about the signings they'll need to make. And of course, yeah, they did go and make um, a number as uh, of signings, as the list you read out suggests. But was that a diversity? Was that a we're going to get some old and some new, and we're going to mel- meld them together in a in a beautiful way? No, it was um, it was a scramble, and it was poorly thought out. It was it was a short term plan, but even as a short term plan, it was a dreadful one. Well, I, I live in, I live in Wilmslow, and I've seen you go into a shop and buy seven pairs of trainers now. Whoa, 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 whoa David. Well, that wasn't me because that's a complete and utter lie. You know, my my abiding memory of Robbie Savage during during those those two years that I went was was that it was simply an elongated audition for BBC Sports Six O Six phone ins. I mean, his his repertoire on the pitch consisted of basically sideways pass, passes, uh, mm-hmm. pointing and shouting. You know, you get over there, you get over there, um, and then charging opposition players as fast as possible lunging yeah. in and kind of t- Tekken three style sliding <laughs> tackle, um, but always missing the player, right? Or you know maybe a- getting a yellow card. You know it's like he came away from a game being like, if he got a yellow card, it's because he put the effort in. Yeah. But that's not mm. that's not what winning football matches even is about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, he not was a very he's a very individualistic player, mm-hmm. um, who pertained and pretended to be like the, the beating heart of the team mm. but was just basically a, a mini celebrity um, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and uh you know we might want to think about if there's anyone currently in derby who is uh,
2: <laughs>
1: like that at all i don't know um, i don't know I mean, I just think... maybe in the uh, in the management structure somewhere yeah. there might yeah. be something like that i think the thing that I found strangers. I think Paul Jewell. well, at least le- reading the signings, it seemed like Paul Jewell was trying to sign people that were really going to grab this team by the scruff of its neck and be like, come on, we're getting results here. We know yeah, what we're doing. Yeah, the here. kind
0: of, the, the the wisdom, the people with wisdom of how this, mm. how what a relegation scrap is like, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. What it's like to be backs against the wall, them
1: against us. Um, exactly. Yeah. And Robbie Savage has just never been that player. Like, he has always been, like, as you say, he's always been, like, this very individualistic um, player who's only really been playing for himself or kind of for the cameras, despite having very limited talent. And I think what Derby were really after was kind of like a Jordan Henderson slash Dennis Wise type midfielder who is just, like... Super focused, and it's all about the football and the team dynamic.
2: He's really going to drag everyone, and he's
1: really going to drag them the kicking look. and screaming. Yeah, even if they're going to get relegated. And so I just do not understand how Paul Jewell came up with this idea that Robbie Savage was this type of midfielder. Yeah, well, he and got, I think he got swindled. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's
0: the the answer is that is that Robbie Savage is a salesman, yeah. and he persuaded him and his agent presumably persuaded. Yeah persuaded the derby uh, hierarchy that it was it was the the signing they could make that would transform their season and of course we but, know it did transform their season but,
2: <laughs> but, but surely like robbie savage knows he's he's getting on board a sinking ship
1: i think the thing with savage was that he cultivated this opinion that he had got on a ship uh, a sinking ship yeah. against like his own wishes but I think in reality his options were very limited yeah. um, and Sunderland had turned down the chance to sign him and obviously they were in a you know slightly better position but not great position yeah. and so he would have had to drop down to the championship and so this and in any in some sense getting relegated with the record points total gives him you know like it's banter points <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's true. Points. and now he can like trade off that on 606 for the rest of his life because he was part of that and he can claim that Aston Villa in 2016 were not as bad as Derby County 2008 mm-hmm. and all these kind of things. So, yeah, I can get on board with the, you know, the feeling that he was auditioning for those kind of roles. Jim from on. Devon, what do you think? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then just to contrast, well, so there was like Savage was, I mean, Stubbs and Mills would end their careers at Derby after like both making less than 10 matches. Danny Mills wouldn't even make it out of January. Yeah.
2: Danny Mills got injured away at at Portsmouth, which was one of the last games of the month. And Mm. yeah, he he didn't even make it past (laughs) one month, bless him.
1: And Laurent Robert had left his career in like 2005 or something. Uh, So I don't know what he...
2: Left his career at Newcastle. He left
1: his career at Newcastle, basically. Yeah.
2: Well, I, rem- I remember
0: when he was announced and some people who, who, you know, they didn't have their head completely screwed off,
2: mm-hmm. you know. Yeah.
0: They weren't, they were kind of sensible. I heard people mm. being like, oh, he's got a pearl of a left foot, you know. Yeah. He'll, he'll ping the crosses in, he'll take our free kicks for us. And of course, you know, he came on as a sub and he did take some free kicks. But my memory of him was that he was past the ball. He tried to make a run down the, the left or the right-hand side. Often on the right would cut inside, would play mm. a ball in. It would travel out for a goal kick, and uh, the people would applaud. Yeah, <laughs> he's trying his best.
2: Yeah, Which well, is... what else can he do? is it? A, he's he's just boarded a sinking ship. What else is he? <laughs> what else is he going to be able to do?
0: Yeah, but do you remember this? The the feeling, the ambiance of anticipation when Tito Villa was signed. There was this sense of like this this guy has been tearing up <laughs> South the America, League. yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. And then he came,
0: and he was this slightly, like slightly pudgy, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of squat guy who, you know, I remember a couple of goals he scored. He did get the the ball in the net, and you know they were it, yeah they were and goals. It, he did actually it. score them. But
2: and eventually he would go on to score more for Derby in the Championship as well, so... Mm. He, so he wasn't
1: a total failure.
2: Yeah, but he, he no. wasn't this this maestro that we were all... I
1: think Derby were hoping for Paolo hoping for again. Mm. And, you know... They were looking
0: for, for a Carlos Vela.
1: A Carlos yeah. Vela. Or like, yeah. So, like some person you see at the World Cup every four years and you're like, wow, where did that guy come yeah. from? Or um, a Chicharito. Or a Chicharito, a tiny yeah.
2: They were looking for a tiny pee and they got... Tito there. <laughs> they
1: got they got a mushy pee. Yeah, <laughs> they got
2: a mushy pea. But, the, but
1: the, it's it's worth noting that about Via because I, I always did like him. and I was sad when he left. You know the next. Me season. Me too. Um, yeah. Me too.
0: I, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying this to kind of um, run him over with a tractor mm. and and say that he should be forgotten from history. Mm. Um, I just think that
1: he wasn't the right signing for that time. Mm-hmm. And not yeah, not when we removed a striker and we desperately needed more. Um, Mm -hmm. Hassan Ghali was a weird one, because from my memory, he seemed like he was good, but obviously he was always there during all the terrible results. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, he was one of those players who sits in the midfield, um, central midfield position, pings the ball sideways, and gets it back, and then plays it backwards, and then receives (laughs) it, and plays it. But to be honest, we didn't get to see much of him because mm. Derby didn't see much of the ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Most of the time, they were running back towards their own goal
1: as the other team um, charged towards them. It's true. I, I kind of feel like Hassan Gali was like a poor man's Paul Pogba in a sense, like a the sort of player that like could be the beating heart of a very creative midfield, but almost relied too much on quality in a team that really could not. You know, offer that, like any support to such a player.
0: I mean, I'm not um, sure he had the same. <laughs> obviously, he doesn't have the same creativity as Pogba, but I'm not sure he even had like the same creative spark, even if it was reduced quality that mm. that someone mm. like Pogba has. Um, to me, he was is like a sort of cross between like a beta version of El Nenny and Tom Huddleston. Mm. He was like this Huddleston El Nene synthesis yeah and when they signed him i was like you know we saw a a few youtube highlight reels back in the early days of youtube and um it was not unexciting (laughs) but but he he wasn't gonna take the game by the scruff of the neck
2: yeah he, he wasn't the answer either was he he wasn't i think i what you say about um him just not really even getting a chance to to be creative like because we we just didn't see much of the ball. It's completely spot on as well, and so I guess these these players that we we bought in, it was just a, a hodgepodge of of players. I mean, the one thing is that it they were bought in all over the pitch. That's probably the one consistency amongst all of them. Which which you know, it wasn't it wasn't a secret that we needed improvement all over the pitch, but. I can't say that these players did mm-hmm. did improve really, um, any aspects of the pitch.
1: I feel like signing a first choice goalkeeper in Roy Carroll in January is always a bad sign as well, because it shows you've lost all hope in, you know, in your defensive ability or in your goalkeeping mm-hmm. your goalkeeper's ability. And I think that was that had already been shown because Lewis Price, who was brought in as backup, had been playing which I'd actually completely forgotten until I read back over the like match reports and like looked at some Mm. photos of games with the ball in the back of the net and Lewis Price with his head in his hands. But um, yeah, they said they said bye bye to Bywater. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and uh, Roy Carroll actually provided one of my favourite memories of the season, which was Stylian Petrov slamming the ball into the net from, you know, like 45 yards or something. So he We'll have to give him credit for that. What a moment! And actually, he had a he had a very good career after he left Derby, despite being signed when he was like thirty. Like he went on to play for Olympiakos, and he was like really well liked in Greece mm. and in Cyprus. Um, he played for I think Knox County and was also quite good up until very recently. So, I mean, I think Roy Carroll, you know, was just a half decent keeper, but you know, he he couldn't really do anything about what was going on. <laughs>
0: next season um, no, it's, very, it's very much looking like we ain't going to be in this league next season but we've got to try and come back bigger and stronger and
2: better One question which I think is quite interesting that we should kind of like ponder on is would Derby have actually finished with more points in that season if there had been limited transfer activity in in January would would that team that was there actually um, be able to to Scrape a few wins, and well, a few draws would have been lovely. But but maybe even even another win or two.
1: So I looked a little bit into what Villa and Sunderland did, and and neither club really made much movement in the January transfer window when they went down. So I think they basically accepted that they were getting relegated. I think.
2: So so this was Sunderland in
1: this was Sunderland in two thousand six, who went down with fifteen points, and Aston Villa in twenty sixteen. So Sunderland in two thousand six signed two players on a free transfer. Uh, they were Mick McCarthy was managing them it, I think it was just widely accepted by that point that Sunderland were going down and Sunderland went back up the next season with Derby uh, and were then you know stayed in the premiership for a long time so that's kind of what you hope for when you go through these this period of like you know going between leagues and then Aston Villa in 2016 is kind of a weird case because I think their team had a lot more quality in it than either Sunderland or Derby did when they got relegated but for some reason fell upon very very hard times although I think they'd been in a period of systemic decline. I think at the very end of that season, Aston and Villa were terrible. They mm-hmm. lost a lot of their games after January. So I think signing no one isn't necessarily going to, you know, isn't necessarily going to do anything in a sense. Like Derby tried signing a lot of players and it did nothing. Villa, when they did it, tried signing nobody and it also did nothing. I think it's just more that, you know, the teams are just, they're irretrievable. Uh, I mean, I that think that
0: their greatest crime was that they didn't commit to being awful. They, mm. they could have continued with Oakley and Howard. Now, I thought, I've continued to think that Oakley was a fine footballer and, and that Howard <laughs> may have scored a few goals, uh, bagged a few mm-hmm. if it had stayed in the, in the team. But mm-hmm. if they'd have committed to having integrity in losing, if they'd, have, mm-hmm. if they'd have just said, "Look, we're a terrible team, but we're going to keep at it," like Sheffield United are doing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then at least they go down without that huge wage bill on these um, these has-beens, mm-hmm. and and at and at least they have more of a, a cohesion among the squad mm-hmm. and and a, a sense of who the starting eleven is. But I think, as things were, they tried to put. Um, plasters on the on the mm. wounds, right? Um, but the, you know they spent so much money on these terrible uh, pieces of fabric, right? That didn't have any medicinal purposes, um, mm-hmm. and it just it didn't it didn't work out. Um, so I'm not sure they would have got any more points had mm-hmm. they had not brought anyone in, but they would have left the league with I think I think this is the reason. That a lot of Derby County supporters don't really look at the lowest points tally um, marker record with with a mm-hmm. sense of pride. Um, if mm-hmm. I think that if it had had the same team throughout the season, if that team had an established identity, and it wasn't mm-hmm. broken apart midway through the season with your captain leaving, mm-hmm. I think that the, the the fans would perhaps have been more committed more uh, tethered to those players and they would have gone down in style as mm-hmm. things were it was you know the the t.s elliott line right not of a bang but a whimper that's how they mm-hmm. that's how they they mm-hmm. fell drop down to the championship so maybe not more points but uh, perhaps more integrity
2: yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think that yeah, losing losing your captain in January and just replacing replacing him with a captain like figure in in Robbie Savage again running around the pitch in running around in the middle of the pitch almost in complete um, contrast to how Matt Oakley played in the in the first half of the season and the the twelve months before. Um, yeah, I think I think they lost the fans almost as well, and that's that's kind of what you are. What you were just I guess, saying? Yeah,
1: it was completely unrecognizable team from the team that started the season, and so there was nothing. It was it. it was kind of like um, there was nothing left to hang on to. It was like a ship, the where they'd replaced all the wooden panels as they went on the journey. Yeah, and it's uh, it was Theseus's yeah. ship. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Uh, and it, you have to wonder whether it's the, the same, same ship. ship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
2: and they don't even have a sponsor that exists anymore, so exactly. it truly <laughs> yeah. isn't the same ship. <laughs> Damn it, that's good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: when you're bottom of the division and you're, 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 you're struggling for a bit of, well, a lot of form and, and you're struggling for points is is a difficult one to take. Um,
2: I felt that this week... I could actually leave my my question of the week to to the end of the podcast because I think that um, the the chat that we've just had about about Derby's season in in o seven o eight um, leads on quite nicely to this. But so this weekend, Sheffield United lost two nil to Crystal Palace, which means that after seventeen games in the Premiership. They have only two points. This is the closest I think any any team is essentially gonna gonna get to breaking that eleven point. So my question to you this week is how bad are Sheffield United? Are there any parallels with Derby County? Will Sheffield United get better? Um, and are they trying to cling on to their to their position in, in the Premier League or have they kind of accepted relegation at this point?
1: I think on the on the topic of January, I think I think Chris Wilder's kind of been saying, you know, his his tone has been kind of getting more and more morose as the season gets on. But I think he has to, as a manager, try and like lift the players to, you know, just even just like summon performances so that they go down with some sort of integrity. Um, I don't necessarily think they stay up, but I also don't think Sheffield United is sort of club to go wild in January, and I think he's going to stay true to the squad they've got. And Wilder's I think,
2: not going to go wild.
1: he's He's not going to go wild um and I think I think the reason for that is because Sheffield have Sheffield United last season at least you could see they had a very coherent team and and like narrative around the way they played football and I think they're just going to keep I mean it did work for them last season so that's like one of the things that's like not in parallel with Derby's situation like there wasn't really a way of playing that Derby had concocted that they could like always return to if they were struggling where Sheffield United do know that something around the way they play does work providing that all the pieces align I think basically for the rest of the season they're just going to try and stick with that I I mean that's my opinion anyway um I do hope they do break the 11 point record Uh, as as Dom said not many Derby fans take pride from the record and Mm. I think it would be nice if if they did, you know, get less than less than eleven points, so like they've got nineteen games left. No, twenty-one uh, games it. left. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they can only get nine points from those twelve games before they equal the record, and it's just unbelievable that that they could go so long with so few points. And I think if anything, things are starting to look like they might get out of it. I mean, they, but um, but I mean, they lost it again yesterday, so
0: mm-hmm. who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. I th- I think that it's inarguable that Sheffield United are a better side, a better squad than and Derby County were in the Premier League in 2007-08. They are a better squad with better players in every position. Um a lot more promising players as well who will probably have um good careers the youngsters. Um and as Alex said a proven style um mm-hmm. with a, with an identity to it and uh a real excitement when it works. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they talk a lot about not having the fans there and how much that impacts them, um, which the statistics don't sort of do and don't bear out in various ways. Um, but I just think the the feeling of it, the emotion of it, is there for, the, for some of the players who've been who've been with the club for a longer time. Um, the um, the players in their thirties, they are much better than than Derby were. Um, but also, if they don't meet that points tally, if they break the record, I think that the people of um, South Yorkshire are much more easygoing and would probably embrace it and think it's a laugh. Whereas the people in Derby, I, I just don't get the sense that they've really thought of it as a as a thing which defines the club in a in a positive way. It's still um, it's still something to not really talk about, or if it is, it's just mm-hmm. a kind of oh um, that was bad, wasn't it? Sort of thing um it's a bit of a joke it is a joke and that does show getting over it but um I think that the the fans in Sheffield will embrace it with two hands probably right if they go down
2: and and I think if, if Sheffield United do go down and like they 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 probably will go down at this point whether they get more than 11 points I think is um yeah questionable for me but like when when they do get relegated. They'll, they'll have like a really strong team in, mm. in the championship next season, which I mean, we just couldn't say that for, for Derby when they were relegated mm-hmm. in, in 2008. And Derby struggled that next season mm-hmm. in, in the championship before Joe was um, eventually sacked. And I, I just don't think that will be the, ke- the, the case with Sheffield United. I think, yeah, the fact they've got an identity, they've got players who've been at the club for a long time, they've got Chris Wilder in charge and he's a, a local guy. They're, all these things, um, I think, add up to them mm-hmm. just being in a much stronger position.
0: Yeah, and of course, their defeats have been, in the main, very narrow. You know, Derby mm-hmm. got thrashed 5-0 but from West Ham five or six nil by Aston Villa. They got mm-hmm. scored five or six goals against them by Arsenal, by mm-hmm. Liverpool, um
2: Chelsea as well.
0: So that was that was the Derby season. But Sheffield has been, you know, two nil defeats, one nil defeat, two one. Mm-hmm. They've they've taken the lead in some games only to lose it late on. It's a it's a different kettle of fish. Um a different situation even if it has echoes
1: and reverberations definitely and um, I was looking at the table earlier and their goal difference was like significantly worse than West oh no significantly better than West Brom's I think that West Brom are more like Derby than Sheffield are mm.
0: Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. like a substandard no. team
0: that's tried to change its fortunes or... I don't obviously they ha- they are a better team than Derby were they are they've got much better quality of players um, almost in every position. Mm. But one of the things which separates them from, um, sorry, which, which links them, one of the things which links them to Derby is that they fired their manager uh, midway through the mm. season yeah. with the hopes of turning things around. Now, I think that West Brom's draw against Liverpool was a hangover of billage. Oh, I see. And I think mm. that now Allardyce is trying to do something with them. He was trying to do something with them in the Liverpool game. Right? Yeah. But they, they they retained something of the village mm. time, and mm. and the same the same way that they got a draw with Man City mm-hmm.
2: away yeah. from home,
0: they got it with Liverpool. Mm. But now you know, as Big Sam's like, we'll take them back to the drawing board. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Of course, they're yeah. doing it. You undo undo yeah. a lot of the work that Bilic did and hence they get it. it's funny because in, in, in the interviews he's still he's saying oh th- this is a bad team who've had some bad coaching and it needs me to come in but it's like no you're the one who's undone everything yeah. Yeah. you're the reason they lost 5-0 to Leeds you're mm-hmm. the reason that they're losing um, 4-0 to Arsenal mm-hmm.
1: and Sam Allardyce now is very similar to Paul Jewell in that his entire yeah. career now is seen as just a series of like relegation Avoidances, mm. uh, sort of. Um... Yep, exactly. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: mm. So, Berger. but the, but the difference is that he is actually somebody who has a pedigree in doing that. And poor mm-hmm. Jewel, as you point out in your article, Jewel actually doesn't really or didn't really have that even when he signed for Derby. Mm-hmm. His time for Wigan was, um, you know, was obviously pretty good based on mm-hmm. who Wigan were, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But you know, was Sam you know, Big Sam's done it.
2: Thank you to everyone for, for listening as well. Um, there's consistently more and more Derby County podcasts that seem to be popping up on Twitter. So we we do appreciate um, anyone who takes the time to, to give us a listen. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at rbbg. On Instagram, we are Our Baseball Ground. And all of the articles that Alex has written to accompany these podcasts can be found on our website, which is ourbaseballground.com. Well, I think we need time to to recover after that one and and seek out a, a a nice positive topic for for two weeks time. But yeah, thank you everyone for listening and and we'll we'll be back.
0: Bye-bye. <laughs>